Welcome to the You Can Tell the Children podcast, a place where sharing God's word with the next generation in your circle of influence can be simple, easy, and fun. We know that intentionally teaching children about God and the relevancy of His word will be a game changer in their homes, schools, and communities. This podcast is a ministry of Bible to School, the experts in engaging children with the Word of God. Together, we will make sure you can tell the children about the love of Jesus. Ready, set, let's go. Hi, friends. I'm your host, Corey Pennypacker, and this is episode 19 of the You Can Tell the Children podcast. It's hard to believe, but we're in mid-November. This fall is speeding right past us, isn't it? It's such a gift to bring you guests who empower, encourage, and equip you as you share the Bible with the next generation in your circle of influence. Today, we're going to take a good look at what's happening with children, both with their spiritual health and their mental health in our ever-changing culture. To help us talk through that, today's guest is Michelle Niedert. She is an author, a speaker, and a licensed professional counselor and the clinical director and founder of Community Counseling Services in Texas. Michelle is also a voice of wisdom for both mental health and spiritual health of children and how important both are in the development of our children. Show notes from today's episode 19 can be found on Bible to School's website at bibletoschool.com. That's Bible, the number two, school.com. Let's welcome Michelle Nieter to the podcast. Well, Michelle, we are so glad to have you on the podcast today. I'm excited to talk to you because our listeners, I know, are too. But today's topic of mental health in children and how spiritual health influences, it's a, it's a pretty interesting one and intrigues me. Uh, it's so relevant in our world. But first, let's get to know a little bit about you. Can you tell us about yourself? Absolutely. I certainly can. I have been a mental health professional for 20 years. I own a counseling center in the Dallas area where we offer Christian counseling upon request and love working with faith-based families. Through a nonprofit, we offer services throughout the country now. And also, of you who are listening who are parents, I have an 11 and a 14-year-old and also am the author of Loved and Cherished, which is a devotional for girls and have a book for women called Make Up Your Mind coming out in the spring. And then some other things for kids coming around the corner. I'm the host of the Raising Mentally Healthy Kids podcast, and I'm just super passionate about equipping parents and grandparents to really help empower their children to be prepared for mental health issues that they're going to encounter at least by middle school, and also how to manage their own dynamics if they've got mental health issues within their family. Wow, that's a lot of stuff you do, Michelle. <laughs> How do you get that all you know, done? You <laughs> um, know, I would say a lot of help, a lot of good assistance, and mm-hmm. will definitely attest to the fact that I tend to be a multitasker. So, in fact, I kind of recently have been diagnosed with ADHD, and I have really encouraged a lot of kids and women to say this isn't <laughs> a horrible thing. As long as we use it right and we take some periods of rest, that it can actually be really used for us to make a huge impact on the kingdom of God when our brains work like that. Well, that kind of goes right into what I was going to ask you first is the trends of of mental health in children. What exactly, well, first of all, what would a mentally healthy child look like? That is a tough question. I think, first of all, I want to say that a mentally healthy child is raised by a mentally healthy parent. And that means that neither one of them may or may not have a diagnosis 
But I think the most important thing mm, is that they good. are doing things that we know help increase our mental health. And so we work on things like flexibility and resiliency. And, you know, I could give you like the 40 assets research from the 90s that I used to use as a school counselor. I developed a crisis intervention program from a school for a school district of about 20,000 kids. When we worked on that, we were looking at that secular research. But I want to be really honest with you. And the reason I wrote this book, because I truly believe from a spiritual perspective, a mentally healthy parent and child understands their sense of identity in Christ so that they aren't trying to measure up to our crazy identity-based worldview standards of how I look, what I do, who likes me. Because we can never, ever be good enough. And even if we are, we're terrified that we can't stay there. And so it's just a really hard way to live. So if we have the sense that we are truly loved and cherished by God, and that can't be changed, and that forms our sense of self and ego, and then we we see his purposes for us in his world, it makes a huge difference on the way we approach things. And then it helps us manage anxiety, especially better, because you know, fear and worry are human emotions and they're givens in our culture today, but they get out of control when they, Mm -hmm. when they literally like a dragon, Mm -hmm. as we work with little kids, we talk about grow and grow and grow. And they're fed by lots and lots of anxious thoughts. And those thoughts are usually thoughts like not enough. I can't do this. Nobody's going to like me. I am not good enough. And so it just becomes really tough. So I think that's part of it. I also think we can't ignore the mental health aspect of like how we're dealing with our thoughts. So are we aligning our thoughts with scripture? Do we have a sense of compassion for ourselves? Are Mm -hmm. we applying grace? And then I I have certifications in integrative nutrition for mental health. So I think we've got to look at what are we feeding our brains and our bodies as on the Raising Mentally Healthy Kids podcast, Daniel Amen and I talked about that, a psychiatrist who's a Christian, just talking about like brain health and movement and even what we're feeding our minds through what we're watching in entertainment and how much time we're spending on our screens. Jane and I talked about like their amygdalas because if you <laughs> overstimulate that amygdala, this frontal lobe, which is the last part of the brain to develop, if you're in survival mode all the time, and you know, a lot of kids enter survival mode with the pandemic, you know, to be honest, Corey, it just became mm-hmm. like we all did, you know, and so our amygdalas were in overdrive right. and that doesn't right. allow our, our, our frontal lobes where the wise decision-making and the emotional self-regulation to really work well. In fact, so much true that unfortunately mental health numbers are going up and the amygdala, the frontal lobe, which is the last part of the brain develop is being delayed even further than it used to be. Well, and you brought up a really good point that I was going to ask about is that the pandemic, how have you seen that affect children and their mental health? I mean, it, again, that fear factor, that anxiety, you always have that and you always that's always kind of part of growing up. But I mean, it's on steroids right now. It is. And I think we've got to be really careful with that because what is happening, because we have such access And in a way, I love it. Mental health awareness has never been any better than it is now. Although still the research says so many kids and adults and families are not getting the help they need at the same time and the support they need. But there's an awareness. But unfortunately, what I'm scared that's causing is a lot of self-diagnoses. And sometimes I'll have a kid say, I have anxiety. And I'm like, how do you know? And they're like, I just know. And I'm like, well, actually, we have a checklist that we have to like, I'm allowed to diagnose you with that. 
And we have to see if you really meet the criteria. And as we talk about it, sometimes the way their anxiety comes and goes, they don't meet the criteria. But the research is saying, and Dr. Tim Elmore and I were talking about this because he's a social scientist. The research is saying Mm. in this crazy that actually our kids' symptomology looks like the criteria that you would be in an asylum, a mental health asylum back in the 60s, that they are showing signs of panic disorders and paranoia and things like that. Really? Oh, yes. Unfortunately, if you look at the National Institute of Mental Health, their statistics have gone from one in four to one in three kids possibly having a mental health diagnosis by the time they're 18. And that means that it's impacting their functioning and adults aren't doing much better. Mm Mm-hmm. What do you attribute that to? What is the the major attributes for that or what's affecting it? You know what? I don't think we can point to one thing. I think mental health is so much more. If there was one thing we could all write a book and be done, I always joke with parents and families, we're wired so differently. Our chemistry (laughs) is so different. Our life experiences are so different. I think there's a lot of things contributing. We have had trauma. We have had more isolation. We are dealing with, I was just speaking at my local church on this, that with weariness, we are dealing with the dread of what is to come because we feel like we can't catch a break. You know, I have moms I'm talking to and they're just like, please don't let the school call. Please let them just stay at school this week, you know, like, because if there's a level of exposure, they're coming home, right? And then you're back (laughs) in kind of that crisis mode of what do I do with my children? How do I manage my job or my household or whatever it is that they're called to? And so there's just a lot of dynamics going on. We're also, this has caused a great divide in our culture. Just even, I I can sense tension as, and this is really difficult. When I walk in places, even here in Texas, which is not nearly as difficult, I think in some other places, like you do have a mask on, you don't have a mask on, you have been vaccinated, you haven't been vaccinated. There's this level of like, are you for me? Are you with me? That's going on in our culture. And I think our kids are absorbing that tension. Yeah. And then I think also just, we cannot let fear get out of control. We cannot let our mind get out of control. And then unfortunately with this, I feel like we are spending more time in our homes and less time with extended family, which research says is a big protective factor and support system. We're spending less time in community organizations and local congregations. Another place kids find mentors that fuel into their lives as well. It's just it's just a really unusual time in our country. And I, I think these kids could be incredibly resilient or they could be incredibly fragile. And Gen Z is just an interesting group. Well, that's funny because we at Bible to School, you know, we teach kids the Bible during their public school day. So we get them in the middle of the school day when all this stuff is churning, everything's happening and we get them over the lunch and their recess. And, you know, they're telling us things like, you know, hey, I have anxiety. First day, it was last week, I think it was. And the one girl came on our first day and she said, well, I have anxiety. I mean, she basically didn't, you know, my name is you know, Mary and I have anxiety. That's the first thing she said to us. And I thought that's very, really interesting because um, she was reaching out. She was saying, you know, you, do you care about me? Do you, you know, do you want to hear about me? Do you want to A lot of times it's just, like you said, being connected, that feeling of isolation that we've had, have felt. The children have really felt that. And we, we've seen that in our programming, how important that uh, connection is. And our, our listeners, Michelle, are people who want to connect with the children, have a circle of influence. And so we're listening to you saying, "Uh uh-oh, what what do we do? You know, you're right. All this stuff is happening. What what do we do? But spiritually, we have an answer. We have a hope. So talk to me. Tell me, how does spiritual health help 
the mental health of children. That's what I'd love to know. I think the main thing is the hope that we can provide. And it's not a easy answer kind of hope. I think we have to be real careful with sticking a Jesus Band-Aid on a deep wound. But it is a sense of really allowing, acknowledging people's pain, listening empathetically, especially to these kids. You know, these kids don't have the same perspectives we do. The struggles they have are very real for the age in the context of which they are at. And we don't know what their world's like. We have never, most of us, lived through. There have been pandemics before, and our culture has recovered from those in history, even in the United right, States. Right, but we didn't know about them. Most, we, we didn't know right, because most our grandparents about, right? lived through them. My great-grandmother lived through the Spanish flu, right. right? But the Depression overshadowed that. But if you look back at pictures in the 1918s, things like that, you will see pictures of people with masks on during the time of the Spanish flu. So this isn't the first time that our country has huh. faced and survived something like this. And I think that can give hope, too. But I think there's also a hope of a different perspective. What we're talking about, that biblical worldview, that there is more to this life than the grades you make in yes. school or whether you make the team or whether, you know, as you're dealing with middle and high school kids, that boy or girl asks you out or likes you. There's more to life than just that. And your value is more than that. And so I think we also offer a hope in the comfort of a God who walks with us through this pain. And I think that's mm -hmm. the biggest thing we as counselors are literally become God in flesh with people in our offices. We talk about that as I train counselors in solution-focused pastoral counseling, that, that we provide this hope of, while it feels horrible now, it is not always going to feel this bad. And in the midst of the most darkest night, God doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. He is with us. And there is a great comfort in that Amen. in the midst of isolation, right? Yes. To know that. And then also to have this perspective that there's more to come. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The good stuff is yet to come. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I know with mental health and spiritual things, we had a talked about with other people, a study done. It was called Wired to Connect. And it was done by Dartmouth University and Utah State University. And it said that children actually do better in school when they are, because they're hardwired connect, when they are in religious programs like Bible to School, like uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, you know, like Good News Clubs. And study actually says, I mean, I know you probably know this already, so I'm, I'm just talking, you understand this, but children's brains are hardwired to connect to a certain level of social and spiritual connectedness. And that today's society is lacking in fostering that connectedness. And therefore, today's children are suffering from, you know, all these disorders you're talking about. I just wonder, I'm like, wow, if we just get the word of God in them, they can, we can see it. They're like, oh, okay, everything's okay. I'm, you know, I'm not alone. God is with me and God created me for a purpose. They just concentrate, I bet they concentrate better. And you've seen this as a counselor. They concentrate better on everything when they have some hope and some relief from that anxiety, right? I think they do. I think at the same time, I want to be really careful. You know, you can be a believer and still struggle with some of these things as well. And that's okay, too. Absolutely. That a lot of mm -hmm. us, even though we have this hope, our bodies are kind of going into overdrive right now. And we are struggling with some anxious thoughts and some anxiety that is hard to kick. I definitely want to make sure that while we are feeding our kids spiritually, and I, I love it that we can partner with organizations like yours. There's an organization in our local town called Daughters of Our Living Lord, Dolls, and it's a girls organization, and they're in the schools as well. It was started by mm. a school teacher, 
And it's an opportunity for them to be not only, I think what you just talked about is so important. Not only like a lot of times we think of these as being missional organizations where these kids have a chance to be light, maybe in a darkness in a sense, but also they find their people. They find people who can't, maybe they don't go to the same church. Maybe they're in a larger area like mine and they're not in the same youth groups, but they can find like-minded, like-faith people that can help encourage them. And I'm so grateful for organizations like this because it does introduce the gospel and also spiritual truth to kids who may not ever hear that. But it also gives a support network, which we know in counseling, that's one of the main things we assess. And if we're going to work ourselves out of a counseling job, which we love to do in our center, like we would rather kids be like in theater and band and, you know, just having a good time on a playground somewhere than in our offices. So we try to help them get some Mm -hmm. skills and start practicing them on their own with their families and then move along. And then if they've got to come back, that's fine. But I think it's really important that support systems are a part of that. We want to see them. And I have just watched a girl really struggle with an eating disorder. And part of really what has helped her heal is she has gone back to school, gotten offline, and is reengaged in community. And when you're busy, you don't have as much time Mm. to feed that anxious brain either. Let's pause right now and take a question from one of our Bible to school kids. Wait, there's a heaven? There's really a heaven? Can you just hear the hope behind this question? All of us are longing for something beyond this earth. After all, we were made in God's image. We were made to have a relationship with Him, and that relationship has been marred on this earth. When our children struggle with the realities of life on earth, it is so comforting to acknowledge that this life can be a struggle, but there's something better waiting for us. Heaven. There really is a heaven, and we're so happy to tell you that had a really good point is that you know you can be anxious or ha- need help just for a short amount of time the whole point is to get healthy tools and and practices and and thought processes and get catch yourself and all that kind of uh, those things and know what you're supposed to be you know thinking about and doing and sometimes you can't recognize that and need help to do that so uh, I'm so glad we have counselors like you I know a guidance counselor helped me in high school tremendously because I couldn't figure out how to cope with some things at home. So kudos to you guys, what you're doing. But I tell you what, our, Michelle, our listeners, I mean, they're moms, dads, uh, grandparents, aunts and uncles, you know, how they want to obviously promote mental health. And can you give us some recognizable signs that maybe they can look at if they, the children do need help in their circle of influence? Is that, can you give us that? Yeah. I, I really want to encourage you to listen to your kids first. And you know, Home is a safer place, hopefully, for most of our kids. And so I have a lot of parents say, well, they're talking about how miserable they are, but they look so happy while they're at school. Well, they're not going to display their open wounds for all to see and pick at in the middle of a school day. You know, that does not indicate how well they're doing always. But things you can begin to look for Mm -hmm. is, are they withdrawing from activities they used to be interested in? Are they not having the same pleasure in those activities? Are they changing friendship circles? Are they withdrawing from that? Are they spending, you know, all our kids spend time in their rooms at like middle school. I I have an 11 and 14 year old and, you know, we're always drawing them out, you know, (laughs) let's play Uno, let's play Jackbox party. Come on, let's do something. (laughs) Yeah. You know, but um, come on out for dinner. (laughs) Well, and I think that's something we as parents have to challenge ourselves to be 
I don't think we have to be as entertaining as the screen, but when we say come down and then we're, we're boring or we're picking on them for their chores and their schoolwork and their performance, they're going to want to avoid us at that point. So we really need to think about mm-hmm. like, how are we engaging with them when we are engaging them? And I think part good of that point. is that we want to be good students of our kids. We want to be curious. And then we want to listen more than we talk. And we want to even empathize I did a handout for the Proverbs 31 team on this before we try to fix or solve problems for them. In fact, we want to make them problem solvers. So we want to, when we see a child struggling and they're expressing that, to say to them, wow, that must be hard. Tell me more about that. That's that's the counselor number one line I teach every new therapist coming in. <laughs> um, is there it's anything good. else you want to tell me about that? Thank you for trusting me enough mm. to share that with me. Those are all great parental phrases to use. And then to say, how do you see yourself solving this problem? Because that kind of says, I believe in you, right? Like, I think you might be Mm -hmm. able to figure this out. And then if they say, I don't know, well, could I share with you some ways that have helped me or some ideas I might have? That type of thing, instead of saying, well, you know, the Bible says we're not to worry because it says don't be anxious. But the reason it says that is because it knows we're going to be right. <laughs> so we, but you know, my husband laughs. He doesn't really struggle with like anxious. Mm-hmm. So he's like, I don't even get what they're so upset about. And I'm like, that's because you have very little. Fe- God built you with so little feelings in you. <laughs> it's like insane. But they got my genes too, and they feel deeply. Right. So he's like, I know. You know, sometimes kids, I've got a son who's really struggling with some grief. His bird died and that bird was his constant companion during COVID. And he's sad. He, he's now sad four days out of seven. But, you know, we're three months into this and we're still struggling with grief because for us, and this is the thing you have to remember, kids' perspective. My son also lost his aunt and his uncle to cancer and left his cousins behind. He, he didn't realize that all parents don't die. Um, within a very short period of time, he lost our family dog and my uncle, who was a big part of our family. And so the impact when he, when this bird died, it brings back all the grief and all the fear of losing someone else. And so kids can emotionally chain current experiences to previous experiences and not only their own previous experiences, but ones their friends have talked about. Hmm. So I think it's important to to be aware of what's going on in their lives, what's going on at their schools, you know. I just had a preschool teacher talk, a parent talk to me and said, you're not going to believe this. I had to get my kids some counseling because they, the preschool decided to do a lockdown drill, like guns out at their school preschool. Oh, wow. And didn't tell the parents. Can you even imagine? <laughs> so we have to realize our kids are experiencing a lot some of things. things. We did not. Yeah, we experienced. I remember the nuclear drills. Like, yeah, me too. Desk, but nobody from SWAT came into your school with a gun <laughs> to work on a lockdown drill. We're just in a different world. So I think it's important to realize that. And then for this generation, the research says, especially if you have older Gen Z kids and even young adults, you know, they are looking at a world where college costs them more than the cost of a home and homes cost so much that their starting salaries make them unaffordable. Mm -hmm. They're struggling with like, how do, how do I flourish Mm -hmm. in our world? And, you know, we are called to be visitors of this world and members of heaven, but we still live here and we still experience the suffering that is here. And sometimes we need people to help us like suffer well and help us to know we're not alone in that suffering. So some quick things, I definitely would look at those dynamics, like how are they moving relationships? Are they withdrawing from school activities? Are their grades falling? Uh, One thing I think is really important that I ask my kids a lot is how'd you sleep last night? Hmm. 
Did you stay asleep? Like my son woke up six times last night. Now we had gusty winds here in Texas. But what if he was waking up because he was thinking about something and he couldn't go back to sleep? I want to know those things. And that's very often when we get kids with anxiety disorders in our office, their sleep has been interrupted and, and we need them. We need to see them then because there's we need to look at some sleep, you know, preparation. Do they need a worry journal beside their bed? Do we need to, you know, we're really good at praying with the little ones. And then it's like, as we're driving in at 930 at night, exhausted, a lot of times we skip our bedtime routines with our kids <laughs> or we're like, give me a hug and a kiss. Good night and go upstairs. Right. Know? And so we want to make sure that they're ending their day when they're alone in their room, not thinking about just evaluating their day and how they did or what tomorrow is going to be like. But also, like, that's why we wrote this devotional, that they're reading the word of God, that they're right. holding on to his promises of things like he's got a good plan for a future in Jeremiah for them. And that they know that hope deferred will make the heart sick. So they got to hold on to hope. And those who do hope in the Lord, like it talks about in Isaiah, it'll, they'll renew their strength eventually. Doesn't say immediately. You know, I always tell the kids, but eventually. So I think all of that's important. We need to see how they're eating. Are they overeating? We're, we, we're seeing some weight gain. We're also seeing more eating disorders. So mm-hmm. one great question I asked my daughter, and I was shocked by the answer during the pandemic, was when was the last time you cried? Mm-hmm. And she said, Mom, I've cried every day for the last two weeks. Oh, wow. And I knew we were in trouble because that is that is a symptom of adjustment disorder. Okay. Two weeks of nonstop tears. So I I knew this little extrovert, I don't know where she came from, <laughs> needed to get out um, socially. So we opened up a COVID circle and we got into a parking lot and we physically distanced, but they were not socially isolated. And we let these girls see each other oh. and talk to one another and just, and it was good for us moms too. We were created for human interaction. And for some reason, even though I'm literally screaming, go FaceTime a friend, which I never thought I'd be saying ever in my day um, (laughs) in the midst of a pandemic, you know, um, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for her. I think we have to realize that our kids have some real needs here during this time. They do, Michelle. And you have so many tools. You're throwing them out at us. I love it. A lot of good information. (laughs) Where can we get more resources? Because you just are a wealth of knowledge. Yeah. So if you are looking for counseling support, you can visit communitycounselingassociates.com if you're in the Texas area. And right now that's how we're connecting people with the nonprofit. We just, we're just barely getting that up and running. And then if you're looking for some of the tools I'm talking about, like a resource, like how to create a worry gobbler with your child, maybe over a holiday, or maybe you're married to a spouse who has a mental health diagnosis, or maybe, you know, they do, even though they don't know they do. Um, (laughs) I've got some printables on things like that. And that's all at yourmentalhealthcoach.com. I do have podcasts, raisingmentallyhealthykids.com. will get you where we're talking about self-harm and raising relationally intelligent kids. A lot of counselors coming on like John Trent, John Townsend's coming up in the spring, uh, Caroline Leaf, Daniel Amen, just a lot of resources. But we're really focusing on how do you impact kids in the culture right now? Can I go back to one thing that you can tell our listeners? What is a worry gobbler? I have to know. So we take this cute little, and I I have a picture of it. One of my little interns made it. And we did this during the online girl loved and cherished camp. It is a Kleenex box. And and what it is, is is there's a strategy in counseling called containment, where you contain your worries. So our worries are easier to manage when they're out of our head and on a piece of paper. We know. Yes. It also changes the way the brain looks at them. And we're bigger than our worry then. So it's just a place where kids can write on like a post-it or scrap a paper, their worry. 
and then stick it in the little worry gobbler and God can help gobble it up. I love it. And he may have to gobble up the same worry every day, but it's just a really simple, and you just get some gift wrap and, you know, you can go all out. <laughs> You know, unfortunately, I'm going to be honest with you. That's why my assistant made it. I love, I will even buy craft supplies. Like I'm going to be a Pinterest mom, but I'm a total Etsy mom. <laughs> I just don't have time for it. And then when I buy it, it just ends up being a mess in our house. So, but if you are that, that Pinterest mom, you can go all out and make some really cute worry gobblers. And then, you know, and we can use jars and other things. It's just a way to contain mm-hmm. these things, to give them to God. Yes. And to allow our kids to let them go. You know, kids who are experiencing a lot of grief, I encourage them to pick a time of the day when they're going to grieve. My son's working on that. I'm like, can we pick like one time a week or one day of the week or one time of the day where you're going to miss Sprite? That's the name of his bird. And he's like, yeah, I think that would be good because right now he's just like missing her all the time. Mm -hmm. And then we just got this grief trickling throughout the day Mm -hmm. and we want to manage that a little better. We have to let our kids process their emotions because their energy in motion. And it says kids need at least 90 seconds to do that. They have to be able to name it, the emotion they're feeling, identify where they're experiencing it in their body. And then it's really helpful to do something to let it go, like breathing, like taking Mm -hmm. a breath or maybe moving in some way to just kind of like, I love shake it off, you know, maybe shake something off. But that's kind of what the research says it takes minimum for us to process an emotion because it's otherwise it's going to get stuck in our body mm-hmm. and it can get stuck and end up getting just stuck inside and it looks a lot like depression mm-hmm. or it can be just getting out on the outside too much and then it's going to shake itself out with kids and a lot of times in irrit- irritability, sensory meltdowns and anger, or if not, then the anxiety and the panic and even becoming kind of socially avoided. So those are the things we're going to look for there. And I love you know, what you were just saying about shaking it all off, naming it and identifying it and all those things you just said. And then at the end, praying with them. There's something so beautiful about praying together or even praying out loud for a child. And that's what we do often at Bible to School. And so I'm going to ask you to end with, with prayer for us and for our listeners. And I so appreciate you spending time with us, Michelle. And a lot of resources. I, I can't wait to go check out your website and your podcast. And I'm going to encourage our listeners to do that as well. Well, Corey, thank you so much for having me. And I just want to reemphasize what you just said. When my daughter was overwhelmed with her schoolwork the other night, we prayed and we got to experience God in a fresh way because actually a teacher emailed right afterwards and postponed a quiz. Oh, wow. And we, we don't always get to see <laughs> that kind of response. But, it, you know, if we hadn't prayed, we wouldn't have even seen God at work in that moment, even though he was. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's really important. I think we can pray with compassion over our children. We can, you know, help them learn to verbalize the prayers, but praying God's blessing on them. You and I have a mutual friend and she's really involved in the Moms in Prayer movement. And I was too when we were in a a public school setting with my kids. And, you know, praying at, like I still today was just praying God's peace and blessing over my kids as they were like literally closing the doors of the car. Mm. And I think it's just really important for my kids to know that God, they are not going into that school building alone. God is with them. He is for them. And he is going to care for them even better than I could. Well said. Well said, Michelle. Thank you. Let me pray for your listeners today. Father, I just thank you so much that, God, it's easy in this world we live in today to become overwhelmed with hopelessness. I know that I have been there myself as I sit beside people who have had deep loss and deep pain and deep suffering, grandparents and and older adults whose young adults are struggling and whose grandchildren are struggling and just wish they could 
provide tangible help. And Father, we just pray for those who are hurting, that you would be the lifters of their head. God, for those whose minds need renewed, help them. God, it's hard when you feel like you have no energy to do the hard work of retraining your brain and doing that because it takes, we talk mean a lot to ourselves, God, and it takes a lot of time to correct that. Father, thank you that you have loving words of hope, that you speak to us through your word and over us, even through the voices of other people's prayers. Lord, I pray that those who are struggling would hear a message of hope, that their diagnosis is not their destiny. And even if they are going to be managing a true mental illness, that you are going to go before them, walk beside them, and come behind them. And that can give us great hope in the midst of troubled times. Thank you for that, Lord. And we just come before you in Jesus' name. And I thank you for the freedom he brings us from the just troubles of this world. Amen. Amen. Wow, wasn't Michelle a wealth of knowledge? Our prayer is that God would give us wisdom and help us all reach the kids that are hurting in our midst, that we would keep sharing the word of God with them. Share today's episode, hashtag Bible to School, or connect with us on Instagram at Bible to School so we can have a conversation. We'd love to hear from you. Just a reminder that our show notes for today's episode with lots of resources from Michelle are found at BibleToSchool.com. That's Bible, the number two, school.com. If you'd like to bring the Bible to your school, contact us on our website. Next week, we're gonna answer the question kids ask us all the time. How do we know the Bible is true? We'll hear from a beloved Bible to School teacher, Mike Lutz. You won't wanna miss it, remember, You can tell the children about the love of Jesus and you are making an eternal difference. See you next time.